in your heart today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray as we approach this passage, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work, it would illuminate. Father, that the Holy Spirit would perform its floodlight ministry on the Word of God. As we go to the Word of God and we beckon the truths of old, the ancient words, Father, that are ever true, we we can't do it alone. We need your Holy Spirit to, to shed light and shine through. And Father, I pray that that would be true today and that the message would be clear, it would be the gospel. I pray, Father, if there is one that is unsure of their eternity, if there is one that is here today who is uncertain if they will be in heaven for for forever, Father, I pray that that would be settled after today's message. In Jesus' name, amen. And I think, too, it's it's important for me to say, if you don't know if you die, when you die, when, uh, or if, I should say, if the Lord comes back, but if you don't know that you would go to heaven 100%. Sorry, if I don't fix this rug, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> but, yep. But um, nonetheless, if you don't know 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven, I'm going to give you a chance to solidify that after this message. Don't be afraid to, to move during the, what we call the invitation or the altar call. And I would anticipate there would be some here that have known and do know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and it might be a good idea for you to get up out of your seat after the message and come down and pray for a little while. I read, I read this article on Facebook, um, just a, a group, a network that I'm in, and it was like why people are having trouble during invitation getting people to come forward, and I immediately thought, like, that's not my job. Like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, I, I didn't, I deflected immediately. I was like, why would I even care about this article? That's not, you know, I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't move and convict, then, you know, that's really, it's on you guys. But then I thought, well, no, I have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. I have to preach what God wants me to preach. And I could see that, you know, if I'm not being faithful to God's word, that that would affect it. You know, so there are certain things that I would say are maybe contingencies, but I just want to like lay that down, really, from my perspective. I want to lay that down and let you know that when I'm up here, preaching the word of God, I take it very seriously, and I also pray that I'm in the spirit. All week leading up to this moment, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would lead me, and even if the prep work, uh, which is hours that goes into it, is not exactly what he wants, that he'll lead me from that to where he wants me to go. Um, And so I would just ask you to do the same. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God leads you, and don't be embarrassed to to get up and, and come down and pray, and the altar... Many wonderful decisions have taken place down here. Wonderful decisions have taken place in the pew. Uh, But let's just not be a church that's self-conscious, if you will. Let's be a church that's Holy Spirit conscious and that puts him first because that's really the the goal here is that the Lord will move in your heart and in your life and we'll give you that opportunity. All right, time to dig in here. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read the whole story and then we'll jump back in. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Ah, yeah. Nosebleed. We're golden. I think. We might need to shove this thing up in there a little bit. (laughs) Help us. Luke 16, verse 19. First First proclaim shuts down. Then Chelsea's keyboard dies in the middle of worship. Then I lost my place. And now my nose is bleeding. (laughs) And I'm preaching on hell today. (laughs) So what the hell? Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, 
keep you on your toes. Verse 19. Let's pray it doesn't just completely launch all over this rug. (laughs) There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. Verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which which was laid at the gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, don't miss that. Don't miss that word. Remember, we're connecting the story of the the older brother, the son. The older son. Somebody needs to slow down. We're connecting that story, the one who the tension wasn't resolved. He had all of the earthly pleasures. He had all the wealth. He had it all figured out. He knew what to do, how to make his money, but internally there was conflict that was not resolved until I believe this point. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, what is it, the next two words? Evil things. And now he is comforted, and thou art, what is it? Tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. They also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And listen to this verse. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The Jews were constantly seeking for a sign. Constantly seeking for a miracle. And what we find here is that miracle wouldn't have done anything. It it won't matter. If they won't listen to the word of God, if they won't listen to the prophets, then a miracle is not going to do the trick. When you pass on, there are two places that scripture reveals as final destinations. Two places. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 11 says, Therefore we, we are always confident, knowing whilst we are home in the body... We are absent from the Lord. To define that, while we are living in our bodies, in this context on earth, we are absent from the Lord. In other words, God is in another place, the Father, the sovereign ruler, than where we are in our bodies. Do you see this in the text, right? For we, what? Faith, and not by sight. Switch, Brandon. 
sixth thing that happened today. That's okay. I'm over it. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're willing. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Whether it be what? Good or bad. You see it? Whether it be good or bad. Verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Okay. Knowing... Those that are in their bodies, knowing that God is up in heaven, they are absent from the Lord, present in their bodies, and know that, look at it, the terror of the Lord is coming, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. So what does this text tell us? This text tells us that When we're here in our bodies, we're absent from God. But when we're absent from our bodies, we are what? Present with the Lord. One one of two places are talked about in Scripture, heaven or hell. This is talking about what? Heaven. Do you see that? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if we die, Pastor Matt, is there a period of time? Is there, you know, do we have to wait until you know, the eschatological timeline or the end times reveals itself before we're present with God? According to this text, do we have to wait? No. To be absent from the body, to sleep in death is the terminology here. We will immediately be in the presence of the who? The Lord, those that are saved. And because we know that there is impending judgment... The judgment of the Lord, now because we know that, we persuade men. Paul is saying, because I know this, we're starting churches. The the plan that Jesus laid out that the gates of hell will not prevail against is the church. So therefore, we persuade men. Therefore, we share. Therefore, we talk about it. Therefore, we say that it is to be absent from the body. You're going one of two places. And because it says here, wherefore, we labor uh, because we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We have to persuade men. It's important. It's imperative All of those other words that can implore us to action, it's because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or to be absent from the body is to be in judgment from the Lord. John 14, 2. Another passage, hopefully giving some context for you all. Picturing heaven. What does it look like? Well, in my Father's house, John 14, 2, are many mansions. That translates one room. I don't know how the translator said mansion, but there's a spot for you. There's a house. There's something that God is preparing. They chose to say mansions. I'm cool with it. We're going to go with it. He's building my mansion. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. So this place, now that we talked about that that when we're absent from the body and when we're present for the Lord, is a place that was prepared. It was a place that was prepared specifically for who? You and me, hopefully. (laughs) Therefore, we persuade men. When it comes to heaven, it's a place that has been prepared. This isn't something that he's just flying by the seat of his britches. 
This is a plan uh, from the foundations of the world. 1 Thessalonians 4, I love this passage, 13 through 18, probably my favorite. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Remember, you raised your hand and says, I'm not sure that I know what's going to happen, heaven or hell. Paul is answering you. I would not have you to be ignorant. I would not have you, not like in Dundalk where they say, he's just ignorant, right? Not that, but I would not have you to be uh, in, a, in a place where you really don't know concerning them which are asleep. What does that mean? Concerning them which are dead. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So there are people who when they experience death and loss in their life, they have no hope. Do you see that in the text? Therefore we what? Persuade men. I'm trying to help, right? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are dead in Christ. We don't sorrow as those with no hope. Why? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus or died in Jesus, will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Why? Because we've already established the doctrine to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord. We're not going to prevent them. Paul is consistent. He doesn't contradict himself in this passage. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those folks that have died and their bodies are buried or their bodies have been cremated, that's what I want. When I die, I'm t- my last will and testament. You ready, babe? This is what I want. I want you to take my urn and just come in here and just kind of shake it out all over the building. And I want you guys to leave it there for one month. Only one. Only one month. Leave my ashes out. If something happens and I pass, you hear it first. Spread my ashes all over this church, right? One month, leave it there. Then you can vacuum, okay? And then hold a special vigil for me. That's what I want, okay? (laughs) But the point is, is when we die, our bodies, this is miraculous. We will not prevent them which are asleep. The Bible says they will rise first. If you do that, the collection of my particles, how is this even going to happen? From all over the landfill, from wherever I end up, if you vacuum me up, put me in there, and then in another bag, and then in the dumpster, and then to the landfill, when the Lord comes back, I believe in the rapture. If you believe it's the second coming, I love you. God bless you. That's fine. You can totally believe that. But I believe that when Jesus comes back, right, for the rapture and calls his church out, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. If, if, If and when this happens... All of those, like, I mean, think about it, like battlefields, cremation, like, that's going to be pretty crazy, isn't it? We're not going to prevent them which are asleep. Our bodies will be united with our souls, with our spirits that are in Christ, and then we'll be given a glorified body. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So cremate me, spread my ashes, vigil after how long? One month, 30 days. Okay, all right, cool. Now we're on the same page. We don't sorrow as those which have no hope. Why? And here's this. I love this. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Man, I just gave you like a load of doctrine that literally will get you through just about any tough time. Why is it that Paul said, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant Because if you're not ignorant of these things, if you know the scriptures, if you understand what's imminent, if you understand what's coming, then this will comfort you.
you. This will lead you beside still waters. When everything is roaring, when everything is changing, when there is nothing constant in your life, we can rest in Jesus. Even if death takes me, oh death, where is thy sting? Oh grave, where is thy victory? It is not. It will not. It will not. It will not. I think I've said it. It will not prevail against you. Death cannot keep you. The same death that tried to constrain Jesus Christ when he went into the grave three days and three nights, death was standing there at the door holding him, knowing that he had it, knowing that Satan had beat him. He's in the grave, it's done. Death and hell are holding him together. But on the third day, he arose. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And because he conquered it, because he did, the second Adam, not Adam, Adam the first man, choosing to enter into death, choosing to enter into a contract, choosing to understand that if he ate of the forbidden fruit, he would see death, knowing that another would be confronted but would beat it. I think I'm away from my outline. I don't know. We have hope. We have hope. If death comes to my family, if death comes tomorrow, God forbid, I'll be sad. I will sorrow, but I'll sorrow with hope. I'll smile through the tears. Why do Christians lose their faith? I don't understand. Somewhere along the line, they're ignorant, Paul says. And I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to think that this isn't true. The problem is, is we, we're not settled in our faith. Some of you have lost loved ones and you carry that every day of your life. Don't carry it without hope. Hope is what carries us. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, the Bible says. Do you have hope this morning? I have hope. All three of those passages give me hope in where? Excuse me? Y'all wake up. We have hope in where? Heaven. There's two places that you're going to go. Those passages specifically, if you don't know that, write it down. They specifically talk about heaven. They specifically talk about a place that if you're absent from here, you're going to go there if you're in Jesus, if you have faith. Knowing the terror of the Lord. Now, let's talk about that. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay? So here's the terror of the Lord. Revelation 20, 13. And the sea gave up the dead. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead. Pastor Matt, you were talking about death like it was a person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, the grim reaper, you get those pictures. Like, we can't even fathom the craziness. Death was there. Death was holding them. Hell, this place of, of holding, of containment. The Bible says in Revelation that death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were what? Judged every man according to their works. You see, we're either going to be judged by Jesus' works or we're going to be judged by our own. I'd rather be judged by Jesus' works any day. You see, and death, verse 14, and hell were cast into the lake of fire, the end result of death. The end result of sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth that lake, that Gehenna, that far off place, Hades absorbing into this eternal place that that we call the second death. The eternal death. 
this place of hell. Job 11, 7 and 8. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty under perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? So we see these places presented in Scripture, and there's no evidence of a middle ground in Scripture. It's one of two. One of two. What do I mean by middle ground? You guys know what I mean when I say that? Huh? I don't see it. I don't see that doctrine. And I don't want to really get into it, but any other annihilationism, another popular doctrine that is among... um, the Jehovah Witness, they believe that when the body goes in the ground, that's it. Annihilationism, it's done. That's it. I don't see that in the text. I see one of two places in the text. Therefore, I persuade men. Therefore, I get out of bed in the morning. Therefore, I read my Bible. Therefore, I pray. Therefore, I go about my business of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're going to go one of two places. I'm, I'm telling you, how does he have motivation? Why is he acting like he's had 10 cups of coffee all the time? It's not. I'm, I'm not on some kind of speed. <laughs> there's a hell. Some of y'all are acting like there's a middle ground. It's bad theology. It really is. When we don't take things seriously, the things of God that are presented in Scripture, that's when we just carelessly, whatever will be, will be. Okay. You'll stand before him. Even the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment where those that have been held by death were those that were not in Christ. They were in themselves. They were in their own sins and they are being held by death and hell. When death and hell deliver them up and say, here they are, judge them by their works. Then they're cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. You, Christian, who knows, who is in Jesus, has faith, is in a position where death has no hold on you, but are carelessly strolling, I don't know what's worse. Stand in the judgment seat of Christ and tell Jesus, well, I just really needed my me time. (laughs) Okay. Listen, trust me. I'm the last person. I'm like the nicest guy. Like, (laughs) I'm just saying. Like, you'll want a couple of harder messages from Pastor Matt because this is nothing compared to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm just telling you. Stand before God and what is good and what is bad is instantly burned away and what you did for Jesus is the only thing lasting. Whew. And oh yeah, yeah, we can't be faithful. No, we got this going on, we got that going on. Yo, we got connect group 7 o'clock this Wednesday night. You know what I'm saying? Next Sunday, 11 o'clock. Let's just be faithful. <laughs> it's really simple. Does it, any of you have this, like, feeling of, like, accountability to God? Like, do you guys know that it's coming? Then why don't you act like it? Some of you do. I'm, I'm just, you get what I'm trying to do here. You understand? <laughs> why don't we act like it? Why do we go back to our sin? Well, I'm just going to go back to that one. I enjoyed it. Just for a season, and I need a new season of it. Let's try it out again. Okay. And the devil's like, man, that was easy. How many times has he hit the that was easy button this week for you? 
Oh, that was easy. If we woke up and we had the vision of heaven and hell in front of us, the devil would be like having to throw everything, every fiery dart, I'm coming strong. And you're like, oh, whoo, oh, shield of faith. You'd be like Captain America hitting that junk, you know what I'm saying? Like on the age of Ultron when he had that bike and he was like, whoo, threw the bike into the tank and was like throwing the shield. That would be us. Because we're persuading men, we understand this is weighty. And when he comes at us, we are loaded on with the armor. Right? But you guys are like, shoot. Nah, I'm good. I just want to take this day naked without my armor. I just want to go into this battle just showing who I really am. Good luck. Okay, sidetrack once again. (laughs) So Jesus gives us a parable in the remainder of Luke 16 regarding the afterlife. I hope I gave some context. Did I give some context? Heaven and hell? We on the same page? I don't find anything. If you have a verse that spells out purgatory, bring it to me this week. Text it to me. Email it to me. And I'll explain to you why it's not purgatory. Okay. Because I don't really see it. The story represents two places. The story's main characters are the rich man and Lazarus. Okay. The rich man in the context of what we have been studying, I believe, is a representation of the Pharisees. Strong. Strongly believe. Lazarus, get this. It's a story. This is where I'm like, so like kind of tripping this week. I'm like, interesting. It's a story, Steve. It's not, it didn't really happen. It's a parable. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But he uses a name. And I thought if he uses a name, then it must have been a what? A real person. You know what Lazarus means? You know what it means? I know my coffee's down there somewhere. Lazarus means this. The one who God helped. When Jesus was saying the rich man and Lazarus, all he was saying, there's the one who did it on his own and the one who let God do everything. That's all this story means. There's the one who had it all and the one who had nothing who needed God to do it for him. Who, in this context of what we have been studying, had it all, had it all figured out, tithed off everything, went to synagogue religiously, imposed tons of restrictions on everybody. Somebody help me? Oh, that's right. Oh, you know that's right. The rich man, he's got it all. And then Lazarus, the poor fella who needed help who needed everything done for him. Oh, I can already, you know where this is going. The one who could not do it himself, the one who relied solely on the Lord to get him through. All right, putting it together. You ready? This is a hinge pin. The prodigal finds himself begging. I wanted to drop it, but I didn't because we're having some transmitting issues and Brandon will literally kill me. <laughs> No, don't do it. <laughs> I'm a hot mess. Come here, let me bleed on you a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. That was weird, yeah. <laughs> the prodigal finds himself begging. The unjust manager realizes he cannot do it on his own and uses the owner's resources. And then Lazarus is completely reliant on God. That's what his name means. Three stories that fit together. Boom. Tissue drop. (laughs) Just saying. Do you see it? 
Watch this. The older brother syndrome leads to the rich man's eternal state. The younger prodigal finds himself, what does it say? He comes to himself realizing that he needs to belong to a country to receive what he needs that he couldn't do himself. The unjust manager says, I can't even dig. I can't misrepresent. If I go anywhere, if I leave this job, I'm a dead man. I'm going to use the owner's resources to get myself out of this situation. And then in this situation, Lazarus is a beggar. Lazarus finds himself not being able to do anything. He's dropped off at the rich man's gate. The older brother finds himself in a position where he's wanting everything else other than what he has. And he's doing everything he can do to get the next thing. And understanding that tension, the father looks at him and says... Everything I have is yours, and it wasn't enough. Lending itself to the next story as we approach the rich man who finds himself in his place, his ivory tower, everything he has is what he has done for himself. And in this life, it was a good life. All good things were given to him. You ready for the notables, the learning experiences from this story? How many of you are ready to learn something from this? I was ready this week. Here it is, number one. The rich man, when he landed in hell, because that's where he went, knew what he didn't know. He knew, church, what he didn't know. Verse 24 in the story says this. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Notice what he didn't ask. Listen to me, church. He didn't ask to be removed from hell. He knew what he didn't know. Wherefore, we persuade men. He didn't say, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to get me out of this mess. He knew it's just what he deserved. When you go to hell, understand this, you have a full understanding that you deserve to be there. You won't, if given the chance, ask to leave because you'll know it's what you deserve. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as also as we are known, Scripture says. Right now it's in part. Right now we have a chance. Right now we can go and say, listen, you don't understand this, but I've been praying for you day after day because you don't know right now. But there'll come a day when you'll know what you don't know now. Unbelievable, he doesn't ask to get out. He knows he deserves to be there. Here's the fix. I got three of these, stay with me. Here's the fix. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. In the eternal state, the notable of what we learn from him being in hell is that he knew he deserved. He knew he was in the right place. But understand this. How do we fix that? How do we go from here with this story? We understand that faith cometh by hearing. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews eleven eight. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place. I love I posted this on Facebook. I couldn't help myself. I put it on Facebook this week, but by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, watch this, obeyed. And when he went out, not knowing whether he went, 
you don't know right now. Abraham, when he was called out of that land, when he was called out of his hometown to go, he went. He would receive an inheritance. It would happen after, but right now he didn't know. That's faith. And the only way that comes is by hearing the word of God. Abraham operated by faith. How are we, what is the fix to show people what they don't know before they hit hell and split it wide open? Faith. The word of God constantly giving it to them, approaching them with it. The text is what comes. The text is what draws them into faith. It's not your pharisaical goodness. If we would stop trying to reach people with our good works, with our good looks, (laughs) you can't. Oh, God, help for us to stand there. And when he's trying our works, he's like, I didn't want you to do it. I did it for you. Just tell them the word of God. Stop trying to present yourself as something that is the fix for their problem. It's not. It's faith. Stop trying to front. This is the greatest news ever because there was a period of time in my life where I was in that rut. I thought discipleship was teaching people to come to church in a suit and tie. God help me. And now these are my preaching shoes. Come on. A lot more comfy. Church. We got it all wrong. Jesus has it all right. Let's share his words. That's the fix. The rich man, when he went into hell, finally knew what he didn't know. What's the fix? Faith. Faith. Okay, you can choose to be ignorant now, but you won't be ignorant in hell. You can choose to be ignorant now, but you won't be ignorant in hell. Some of y'all need to tell yourself this. What about your next door neighbor? Have you told them the gospel? Well, God, our paths never crossed. What? Your paths never never crossed. Well, you know, I just didn't have a good opportunity. And then he splits hell wide open and he knows immediately, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I deserve to be here. And then he looks across and he sees you standing there in heaven and he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I I didn't have a good opportunity. My house wasn't clean enough to invite you over. You know, I have three kids. Really? He knows he belongs here for the rest of eternity. And you, sorry son of a gun, should know as well. How many know that they can do more in sharing the gospel? Why don't we do it? Wherefore, we know the terror of the Lord. In hell, they'll know what they don't know. Let me ask you something. At what point in time did you realize? At what point in time did faith come to you and you were like, I'm a piece of poop. And I need the grace of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm still a piece of poop. Let's just be being real with you. You know what I'm saying? The day I stand up here in some pharisaical, pious, well, you know, y'all just try to be like me. Throw a book at me. Multiple, not tomatoes, books. That's right. Good timing. He agrees with me. This isn't us. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to let Jesus do it. Here's the second thing. I just, I got to say that again. 
You can choose to be ignorant now, but you won't be ignorant in hell. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, don't go to hell from Bethlehem Church. Here's number two. The rich man's nationality, this is good stuff. The rich man's nationality and upbringing didn't save him. Romans 10, 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. The Pharisee thought that their place in heaven was reserved based on who they were, and their money was a sign of God's favor on their life. That's what they thought. Let me help you with something. Wrong. Lazarus was taken care of by God. They were only taken care of by themselves and for themselves. If you think it's who you are, you're wrong. It's who knows you. Here's what he says in the text, verse 24 and 25. He says, and he cried, Father Abraham. The rich man was a Jew. The rich man looked down at the Gentiles. The rich man felt secure in his eternal state, but he didn't know what he didn't know. What causes you to not share your faith with people that look different than you? You think you're better. What causes your social class to be so narrow to people that look just like you? Has anyone been to dinner at your table lately that isn't like you, that doesn't look like you, smell like you, dress like you? We need racial reconciliation today. For us to act like we don't need it is for us to choose to be ignorant. I hope I say this often. Ms. Tanya knows where I'm going with this. I hope we got 60% black and half of you white people don't come. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really think that there can be a church that is diverse that looks wonderful. Where we can have Asian and Mexican and y'all didn't know my wife was Spanish, did you? That's right. Sorry, something in my mouth. Hispanic. It's actually from Spain, Spanish. Oh yeah, she's she's an exotic one. We're, de- we're definitely derailed now. Nothing, who knows what's going to come out of my mouth, just so you know. Relax, chill out. Let's get real with this. Father Abraham, send Lazarus to come. He still was in that mind. It's the beggar's responsibility to come put water on my tongue. He knew he deserved to be there, but he was still a rotten sinner, saying, tell the beggar to come cool me. What, what in hell is wrong with us? who you think that you're better than somebody else. That person ended up in where? Come on. I know you don't want to say it. I know you don't want to, on the grounds that you might incriminate yourself. Listen, I've already confronted myself with this text this week. It's not easy. It's not easy looking at what we've actually done, not what we think we've done. It's hard not thinking about what we've thought, this is me and my personality. Well, I've thought about doing all of these good things that were different, so therefore I am good and different. No, it's what we actually what? Did. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional in our worship here to allow all 
ethnic classes of people to come in and worship and feel comfortable. And, well, I just don't like that song. It's not who I am. It's not about you. There are people who worship differently than you. And I want that up here. I want it. Because I think that that's being well-rounded. I've been in churches full of white people with four black people in the whole thing or two, two Mexicans. That's not what I want. God has not led me there because of stories like this where they thought nationalities were where they were and why they were there. And here's the problem. You think that, oh, yeah, 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 church is for everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you tongue-in-cheek with your racial comments all week long to your friends and in your text messages. And you don't really believe it. You like the idea of it. But you haven't practically changed and made a difference. Man, it got quiet. The man's nationality and upbringing didn't save him. I think we're going to move on to number three. Okay. (sighs) The rich man's riches didn't save him. I think this probably goes without saying. I didn't even read the fix for that. The rich man's riches didn't save him. Here's the whole crux of the matter. The fix is this. It was a choice. Listen to this. Abraham, Abraham said, you choose your good things then. Seems like the father is talking to the older son. You, Abraham said, son, you chose your good things then. And here's where it's not about money. The rich man's money didn't save him. He thought it was good favor. Here's where the rubber meets the road if you're ready to make a decision today. Abraham said, you chose your good things then. And it seems like the father's talking to the old son. Here's the issue. His choice, not his riches. He was in the he was in the proximity and in the position to do something about Lazarus and decided not to. Did you hear what I said? He was in the position and in the proximity to do something about Lazarus. Look at verse 25. And Abraham's son, remember that thou in in thy lifetime receivest the good things. If we go back, we see in this story that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate. I'm spitting everywhere. He was laid at the man's gate. It's the heart, church. It wasn't his riches. It was his choice that he made to choose those things over the beggar. Romans 10.10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is his choice, not his riches. Heaven and hell is a heart matter. It's a heart matter, not a possession matter. Church, how do I know this is about the Pharisees? Lazarus, it was a perfect opportunity God gave the rich man to be saved. It was a perfect opportunity for him to go, wait a minute, I can what? Help him. That would be selfless instead of selfish. I can play a part in his needs. I can can meet his needs. But he chose to worry about himself. That's really where the rubber meets the road. 
Lazarus was outside of his gate, unable, just desiring of the crumbs. Let me flip the script on you. What person has God put right in your path? Right in your path. And they're just desirous of one truth that you have. One truth that you could give them that would completely heal them. That would completely transform their life. One truth. One truth. You share the gospel with them. It will completely renovate who they are. They're unable to walk. They're unable to do. They're in a place where they don't know what they don't know. And all you have to do is come down out of your ivory spiritual tower. And faith cometh by hearing. Talk to them. Tell them. Lead them to Jesus. And I know I'm flipping the script on the story, but I think it's applicable. I don't think I'm stretching. I think we find ourselves in a pharisaical position when the people that we can help are right in front of us and we choose not to. Here's the, here's, this is it. Number one, how do you view yourself? Now, if you're here today and what I'm saying isn't convicting you on the level of like, I don't know who to tell. I don't even know what I don't know. If that's you today, the Lord loves you. (laughs) He wants to give you all good things. He wants to give you an eternal home that he's prepared for you. Nobody's better than anybody else. No one deserves this. There's no person that's elect over one person that isn't elect. Every, he's willing that all should come to repentance. You just have to view yourself this morning as unable. You can't earn your way into these wonderful, this wonderful place that we described called heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Our sin keeps us out. It was a choice that we made. And it's a choice that will get you out. If you choose and accept what Jesus did for you, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, then you won't have to put stock in your own death, in your own works, in your own goodness to take you to heaven. You can just put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. Believe in your heart that he will save you from everything that you couldn't save yourself from. How do you view yourself? Number two, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to ask God to enable you? Are you going to ask God to save you? Here's what I put on Facebook. What sin is holding captive, faith applied will make active. Your sin that is holding you captive this morning, saved and unsaved alike, whatever's holding you back from sharing your faith, whatever's holding you back from accepting Jesus today, faith applied will make active. Just have faith in who he is, and he will save you. Hebrews 11.8, by faith Abraham, when he, called, when he was called to go out, of, out, of, out into a place which he should after received for an inheritance. Here's the key word for you right now, obeyed. It's all about obedience. You know, you tell your kids to obey and to not put their hand in the cookie jar and yada, 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 right? God's just asking you, just be obedient to me. Put your faith and trust in me. Don't try to do it on your own. And I'll give you a home in heaven. Because I've already bought and paid for it. Jesus already paid the price. You just have to trust in what he did and not.